Hello, hello, and welcome to Shoutbox. This is Chris Olson, and today we're going to talk a little bit about immigration. The issue of immigration is kind of core to what America really is. This is a country of immigrants. It's a, a country that is stronger because of all the people who have come here over the years. There's a lot of people who are you know, wanting to talk about this, but there's one artist in particular here in the Chicagoland area, Wilfredo Rivera, the co-founder and artistic director of Circle Rivera Dance Theater, that has taken his personal experiences as an immigrant to the United States from Honduras and turned it into an artistic work, a dance work. He was working on a, a new piece called American Catracho. It's been a piece he's been working on for 10 years, which will be presented this fall at a number of venues, including the Historic Auditorium Theater in Chicago. So to talk here about American Catracho and to talk about his immigration experience, Wilfredo, welcome to Shoutbox. Thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate the opportunity. Let's start off at the top. So uh, perhaps, you know, would you want to share a little bit about uh, what Circle Rivera Dance Theater is? Sure. Uh, Circle Rivera is a dance and music ensemble, an eight-member dance ensemble with a 10-piece jazz orchestra. And our mission and focus is to celebrate diversity and explore the collage that makes up the Chicago community. So people from different cultures, backgrounds, and uh, how our different life journeys really come together to create this this uh, interesting texture of public life. One of the things that I was really drawn to specifically was this new work. It's a new work, but it's a work that's been in the process for three years, correct? Correct, yes, three years. What does American Catracho mean? Let's start with the phrase first. Catracho is someone from Honduras. Okay. So that's that's what that is. It's, it's a slang for, for someone from Honduras. This is an idea that started to occur and germinated back in 2009. I did the first installation of it and put it on the shelf until three years ago when we restarted it up again. And the main concept behind it is taking my own life journey and experience as an immigrant and expanding that to a more of a universal global take on it and looking at different journeys from different points of view through different lenses. The main component of all this was really bringing a collage of artists to collaborate and contribute to the text, contribute to the movement, contribute to the concept of it. So really becoming a tribe of artists and collaborators speaking about this different issues of immigration. Tell me a little bit about your backstory. Where are you from? <laughs> sure, sure. So originally from Honduras, I'm literally one of those people that came to America looking for that new hope, that new horizon, the new land of opportunities. My parents are musicians by trade themselves, but they saw in me a particular talent which lied in movement and in dance. From early on, from when I was two, three years old, just somehow I found ballet books and ballet on TV and started doing ballet and no one in my family knew what the heck that was. From early on they knew I had a, a different talent than anyone in, around us and my mom decided to literally just uh, transport me to United States to look at art education and particularly dance because that is sorely missing in Honduras. There's nothing uh, like that exists um, there so I was literally transported here to study the arts um, which is a very different model of the reasons for migrating than what we see today with the refugee crisis. Tell me a little about your actual experience coming in. I mean, wh how old were you when you came? I was 12 years old. At that time, we applied for tourist visas, and I had relatives here. I have aunts and uncles that already lived in the United States. The laws have changed tremendously. Back then, you could actually sponsor relatives, meaning if you are a mom or a dad, you could actually sponsor people, and you could be their protector or their 
their legal supervisor. So we came with tourist visas, and then we uh, was sponsored by a family member early on to stay longer as a child. So that expired, and I was myself illegal for a long time. And one venue that I was able to achieve my legal status here and then is in the United States was because of my artistic contributions to the community. So one interesting fact about my whole journey is that most of the entire time that I was working professionally as a dancer, I was doing so illegally. So once I amassed this body of work, and, and actually I started working, I, start, I started developing works with Circle Rivera, and we started doing community work. So I was at that time creating work, hiring people, hiring artists, and generating a lot of community programming. Uh, so through all of my professional and community outreach endeavors, all of that made up a case at that time that allowed me to submit a petition to for the green card status, which is the resident status in the United States. And this was back in the 1990s that that happened. I was fortunate enough to secure an amazing lawyer that was able to put that case together. What's really interesting about how the law keeps changing and evolving is that people in, in this situation, people that are educated, that are professionals, that are working in a particular field, that opportunity no longer exists. Uh, recently, I met up with my lawyer. We keep in touch. And he just said, you know, I was one of the last people that had the opportunity to take advantage of that window to be able to apply for legal status. Even for professionals, it's, it's a very expensive and a very risky road to take. And a lot, like I said, a lot of these opportunities don't no longer exist. There's a picture that's being painted that somehow the the people who are trying to come to this country are you know undesirable in some way, and that othering, it's an excluding that really bothers me. I think painting and executing the dialogue through fear and anxiety of the unknown or different uh, people that are different than you that's that's what's fueling this energy against immigrants. And when you look at people like me and and so many professionals. I came as a child, but so many people already have titles, already have degrees that that are coming in poised to really contribute in their own unique way. And not taking away jobs from people, but actually fueling the economy in different ways, which is exactly what I was doing. But there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that are in the same position that could contribute, and we're actually negating the uplifting of our own communities by not giving them the chance to do so. You know, one of the things that is really interesting, uh, as you know, Chris, is the legality of, of the immigration journey, you know, and, and what people are going through. And, and I think that's something that most Americans don't know, not because they're not interested, it's just because it doesn't filter through the headlines. And that's one of the things that is that is so challenging is, is, a, is that the venues that they're, they're portraying as uh, viable venues for people to pursue are really not there. They're, they don't really exist. You know what I mean? When they're saying they should apply for refugee status, they should apply for this. That is not really a reality. They ha they stopped really processing those those cases years ago. So it's a, really a waste of energy, time, and money. And now that they're asking people to, to sign up 
per country that they go through. Who is going to be, how is that documentation going to travel from Guatemala to the United States? Who is going to, what kind of computer system is, and who is in charge? You know what I mean? It's just the whole thing is it's a very made up <laughs> system that is not there to really support. To that end, what I'm trying to say is that is, is, is that the system is, is broken and it has been broken for such a long time. This is the main reason why there's such a backlog and people are incarcerated too because there's nowhere to go and there's not a system to actually process them. With the successful career you had here and knowing sure. that your parents were, were in the arts in, in Honduras, uh, why did you not uh, go back? You know, I, I get that question often as well. And believe it or not, my parents actually discouraged me from coming back to Honduras. Like most places in Central America, well, particularly in Honduras, there is a lot of corruption. I mean, the, the gangs are, I literally own the neighborhoods. They literally own the police department and the military. I, I know it sounds so bizarre, uh, but it, 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 it is the truth. And what's going on with young people, and this is why we have the wave of young children immigrating is because as soon as you are of an, any kind of capable age, woman or man, uh, you are recruited by the gangs and you have no choice. It, it, this is a horrifying reality, but they force you to join the gangs. And if you refuse, um, you are either executed yourself or they execute a family member. We also know cases, for example, that a kid is forced to execute a family member themselves to to force them to join the gang. So it's a dead-end situation. Um, so a lot of these families actually encourage their kids to leave because there's no place for them to be safe anymore. The story that's being told, which is not accurate, is that people who are coming here as somehow being criminals, when the fact is they're trying to escape the criminals and come here and they're wanting peace and they're wanting to have a safe and secure uh, family life. I can even imagine, you know, being a mother of two and and and, and hug your, your kids to your hips and start walking. That is, that is just insane. But that is the reality um, because at times their boyfriends or their spouses or their fiancés uh, have been recently executed by the gangs or, you know, there were small business owners and the gangs, they can no longer pay the extortion to the gangs so they take over their business or kill the main business owner so they're left with nothing. They're literally in the streets uh, with nowhere to turn because this really comes from personal experiences. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm obviously here. My parents, because they brought me here, they went back to Honduras and continued their lives. Because of the gang violence there, they actually did become refugees recently themselves. So four years ago, they had to literally flee Honduras because they couldn't stay there because of the gang violence. Uh, they had their own um, arts complex. They were, uh, like I said, they were musicians, art presenters. They had a, a restaurant and bar and small theater where they presented bands, live music and dance, but they just couldn't keep up with the gang extortion, pretty much what it boiled down to. Right. Even though they had uh, guards and, and protection, the local police department is in cahoots with the gang members. So there's really, when we're talking about there's nowhere to turn, there's nowhere to turn. Their security guard turned on them as well. Uh, so they, 
they, they were held by gunpoint several times, even to the point of being taken to the bank to withdraw their accounts. So the next thing, the next step, usually what happens when it escalates to that level is then they just kill you and take over your property, and that's the end of it. You never see the owners of that particular establishment ever again. So they literally, in the middle of the night, just grab whatever bags they had, shoved them in the in their car, and started driving away, uh, completely terrorized and terrified. They ended up traveling through Guatemala, and from there, with my lawyer, we figured out how to get them to the United States. But the point that I'm driving at is, at that time, four years ago, we did look at them applying for refugee status. And... Be- because of my status here and my connections in the community, I, I do have a very amazing, great, uh, caring immigration lawyer. And we looked at the cases, and, and, and there was no point of them doing that. If they would have applied for refugee status, they would be in one of those camps right now, or they would have just been held for an undetermined amount of time, six months to a year, and they're senior citizens, and they most likely be sent back to where they came from without the case even, their case never even being heard. So we had to find other ways to go around that. Uh, but again, I had the, the, the security blanket of someone that really knows the system and knows what the reality of, of what that entails. So these people fleeing, and, and it's if they don't have the resources, the financial or the connections or the, the information to really drive them through, they're trapped. They're literally trapped between the being dead or being incarcerated, and there's no in between. Like you're saying, there's there's there there's not a system there in place, and that's one of the most terrifying and scary things. Is is that the, most Americans don't know that this is the reality of what happens when you're trying to actually do it legally, and there's no way of legally doing it. You know what I mean? That that's 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 the big lie that is being right now. Um, sort of being told to the public um, that that is not a reality. I think the good news is Americans as a whole are a good, loving, exactly. wonderful people. Mm-hmm. We're warm people. And I think that the sharing of stories like this mm-hmm. uh, to, to help educate people, to inform people, because again, think about it if this was your child. Think about if this was your parent. Think about right. this if this was your sister or your brother and, and you're trying to keep them safe. Right. You want you want a mechanism because this, this, this has the potential to be this wonderful, warm, loving environment here. Mm-hmm. We would love to have you here and, and you know, here's a way, way to do this. And there's enough place for everybody. That's the thing, you know, and and another point that you hit really, uh, bullet point you hit so well, is that we do come here to contribute and we do come here to become part of the American fabric, to be our, in in my own way, to be the American, the best American that I can be with my history and my journey, right? Um, So taking all uh, all those points into account... Yes, I agree. <laughs> it's uh, it's not easy to talk about these issues, but but I think the more, that, like you're saying, the more that um, I can voice it and just put a face to it, as opposed to a headline or a um, invisible number, uh, I think it should help. One thing that's really interesting too that it's not being so 
shown as as much because of the the strong rhetoric right now and the strong laws that are being passed about trying to really deter anyone to come in. As a matter of fact, that has been that has ignited the desire to take off and leave right away because what people are thinking is that let's leave now before they absolutely close the border and no one can get in at all. So instead of having the effect of of um, having people uh, decision making not to travel, is actually encouraging them because this might be the last window of opportunity to get inside a safe haven. The, the giant door is closing, so everyone's running. Exactly. Oh, it's, that so, makes sense. Yeah, so that I don't think that's something that we foresaw happening, but yeah. it, it would definitely, uh, for the folks that are on location, are seeing happening right now. How did you take all of this information and your vision of this and begin to craft American Catracho? We really wanted to expand my own personal journey and to include various reasonings and ways and harrowing journeys at times that immigrants take refugees take to get to the United States. Three main collaborators that I want to mention right quick. One of them is Dr. Daniel Novak, who is a clinical social work therapist who specializes in working with immigrant families and issues of trauma, displacement, and violence. The second person here in Chicago is Sean Lent, who is a social dance practitioner, artist, working in particularly with the Syrian refugee families. She works by using dance as a therapy a component and also working closely with the organization that is helping them into resettlement from housing to job to community engagement. And the third main collaborator um, is Cecily Keenan, who is a Chicago producer, director, and writer. And her main focus is multicultural theatrical works. So between the three of them and me, digging deep into uh, documentaries, personal accounts, poetry, and diving into various stories. So, for example, the different elements and stressful factors that people go through to literally just move from border to border. So, we explored traveling through bodies of water. We explored traveling through hills and valleys. We explore traveling through physical barriers of border patrols and police force and militia and fences. We explore literally hurling yourselves onto train cars and or hiding and huddling inside vans and trucks. Also traveling through the desert. So we really literally explore these physical stressor factors through the poetry, through the storytelling, through the documentary. So the whole idea really, quite honestly, was to really expand the awareness of these issues because a lot of our music and dance artists as empathetic as artists naturally are, as it is, uh, you're not necessarily in tune with all the minuscule details of what it takes to actually get here and why people do it. And to realize that it is really out of desperation and it's really a sort of last resource because none of us really wanted to leave our country. I mean, if there would have been dance in Honduras, I would still be there. I would be an artistic director in Honduras. So there's, it's not really by choice the easy answer, but it's really the ultimate quote quote-unquote, really, literally sacrifice because you are sort of putting your culture and your history and your heritage aside to sort of start a new life. So opening the artist to really dive into what it all means and how it could 
or could not relate to them. When you first came to the U.S., where was your home base first? Did you come to Chicago first? Uh, my home base was New Orleans because uh, I had an aunt that lived there. So we all <laughs> literally just huddled up with her. And I ended up attending the New Orleans Center for the Performing Arts. And from there, my mentor, my dance mentor, advised me to move to Chicago to continue my dance training. So I moved here and I auditioned for Hubbard Street's apprenticeship program and I auditioned for Giordano's apprenticeship program. And I was fortunate enough to be accepted by both. And I took the Hubbard Street apprentice program. Less than a year in that program, Sherry Sunker started River North Dance Chicago and she was on faculty at Hubbard Street. So she literally handpicked me to start this new concert dance company. And a year after that, we were touring nationally. So it all happened honestly quite rapidly. I didn't take my first uh, official dance lesson until I was 15 years old and by the time I was 19 I was dancing professionally. So, but it was honestly it was I was living in the studio. It was it, it was a 12 or 15 hour days at the studio. Right. Yeah. So. That's an amazing story. <laughs> it really is. This is your 20th anniversary for Circle Rivera, correct? Indeed. Yes, yeah. it is. That, you know, congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. And as part of this then this fall you're taking all these pieces for American Contracho and seeing them together and presenting them for an evening concert, correct? Right. Which is very exciting. And, you know, we'll, we'll make sure to post you know dates and times for this. But in addition to this, you're doing a whole second program. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, but it, you know, from what I understand, it's it's in some ways you know the same bent of examining who we are and examining identity in, in two new works. One is called Root and the other is called A Place Between Earth and Sky. Would you like to, to talk a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. Just piggybacking on what you said, this this anniversary really dives deep into identity, into cultural, into heritage and community, um, it, how it all converges together. So Monique Haley's route is an exploration of her journey as an African-American female choreographer. And uh, she's a professor now uh, of dance, and she has been diving deep into her teaching methodology and practice of developing choreography, and particularly using African diaspora and African ritual, community rituals, and infusing those kind of concepts and ideologies into her concert dance work. It's a piece also composed by Joe Serqua, so it's a, it's a big African jazz score. It really point boldly to, to point out what it sounds like. And the piece, when you see it, you feel moved by it, because it is a community that is in evolution. They haven't arrived anywhere, and they're just discovering and exploring who they are and how they belong together. Uh, so there's, there's a celebration of, of the uh, individual and how it relates to its community. It's driven, it's athletic, it's emotional, and so far audiences that have seen it really feel moved and really feel connected to the dancers. That's something that we see. And, and from little kids to adults, it's it's a universal uh, feedback. It's really great. Uh, the second piece, Place Between Earth and Sky, is by Shannon Alvis. And Shannon has recently discovered, uh, or not discovered, but it recently has become open to exploring her Native American heritage, which has been sort of put in the in the vaults by her family for a long time for various reasons, Blackfoot um, heritage in particularly. After getting to know Sir Rivera and me getting to know her style of choreography and, and, and the affinities that we share about storytelling and human experience, we exchanged great conversations together and she felt comfortable enough to use Sir Rivera as a vessel to explore this part of her identity. 
because she is she is putting herself in a very vulnerable place of opening herself up to very sensitive family matters and finding how she can relate to this very vast and very thick history. So we're really excited to present these two pieces. And her composer is Clarissa Saad, who's a Brazilian composer, really one of the most prominent developing uh, internationally female composers in the scene. Uh, and we're really honored to have her to work with us as well. You have such a strong desire for community uh, inclusion. You you want to bring people into these stories. You want to share what you're doing with these people. And it's open to everyone. Everyone is invited to be part of this experience, which I love. And in particular with Catracho, we have been previewing the piece in the past two, three years, even though it's driven from a Latino Honduran experience, like you mentioned, we've I've had so many people just touched by the imagery and the music, the evocative music, and gets them to think about their Polish grandparents or that gets them to think about other people in their communities or colleagues that they know or friends that that, are, that just arrive. And it just gives them a different perspective and gives, gives, gives them a sense of reflection that maybe they hadn't thought about before. So and that's specifically that's what we're looking for. And that's what's exciting for us is to ignite that kind of thought and that kind of dialogue. Not only is it sort of helping people connect even to their own histories, you know, mm -hmm. but it's, it's touching on this very important subject is no one just chooses to uproot their family and move without a compelling reason. It's a hard thing to do. It's a stressful thing to do. There's no easy part of that process, you know, and yet the families that are coming to America right now are doing that. And I love how you're helping to keep that dialogue open and how you're doing it in a way. It's very personal, but at the same time, uh, by doing it through art. It allows people to, to absorb it in their own fashion and to take their own piece from it and connect to it in a different way. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. Um, I think one tricky line to, to walk is the line of not coming across as preachy, uh, but really creating something that is universally appealing, universally emotionally evocative and touching to a lot of people. It's something that we feel very proud of, that we definitely specialize in. It does take a lot of vulnerability and it takes the, it does take a lot of work. It is choreographers, composers, and designers working together. So at the end of the day, it's one unison piece. It, it, it's, it's as if it is a play. Uh, that's the way we like to think of Cirque Rivera, that we are presenting short plays through dance and music. I guess that invitational nature is the key by giving someone such an easy thing to connect to. Because again, the live performances, it is live music and it's original music and it's live dance, but that's it is Cirque Rivera dance theater. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think because it does uh, uh, the germinating concept is so organic and it's so true and it's so honest as, as sophisticated and as the compositions might be and as savvy and intelligent and uh, forward the choreography is that honesty is there. We really work with the musicians and the dancers, so the presentation really comes from those dialogues from inside the dance company, the dialogue between the dancers and musicians. When you're sitting there in the theater, you you definitely feel the emotion texture of the room change as the scenes of each dance change just because the involvement and how committed uh, the dancers are and musicians are to the work. Uh, so they're not only just executing steps or they're not only playing music, but they're really uh, conversing with each other. And there's such a connection between those two dance and music ensemble that that uh, it just continues to rise and rise and, and, and gets people to move. And, and that's what we're looking for. That, that's, that makes makes it really special to them and to us. There is a vulnerability to this, and there's a vulnerability in, in sharing. You are giving something 
mm-hmm. to us. Your, your company, your dancers are giving something to the audience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very reflective of the reality of immigration. These the, the people who are coming to America are here to give something to this country. Everyone right. contributes to this country. They're not taking. And that's, that's, you know, it's a misinterpretation by a lot of people. Somehow they're coming here to take something away from other people when every person is adding something to the human fabric of what America is. Right. I mean, it, and it's such an interesting way of putting uh, labels to humans, right? Uh, when we're talking about the infiltration, being conquered, the migrants, and, and, and when we actually strip it down to the faces, to the stories, to the people, and realize that they're very close to what we are, and they're looking for the same things that we are looking for. At the end of the day, we're all in the, under the same sky, and and we aspire and hope for the same things, you know, family, protection, opportunity, peace, calm. So these are all human desires that are within all of us. That's one of the things that we try to convey through the American Catracho Suite. There is a huge section about establishing a new home and numbers. Uh, so using numbers and coding, for example, that was another uh, particular element that it was so stressful for me as a teenager and as a young artist, not having that golden number, that social security number, that green card number. is such a dark cloud that hangs over your head. These are experiences that they are really quite difficult and quite quite stressful. That's another huge component of the piece of how these elements of labeling and numbers can disfigure the human element, like you're saying. You know, at the end of the day, they are humans just like there is no us and them. There's only us. And I say that a mm-hmm. lot. You know that, mm-hmm. that we are stronger as a we. We are stronger as, as a unified humanity. We are richer for it. There's an analogy I, I love to think about. I'm a photographer. I play with mm-hmm. it all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, if you take many different colors of light and overlap them, they all become a white pool uh-huh. and they are all richer because of all the, the components. You know, So if you think about a rainbow right. merging through a prism to, to that beam of, of brightness, that is what humanity does. All these different mm-hmm. elements merging together make us stronger, make us richer, and, and are what will propel us forward. And that's driven by love, and it's driven by sharing, and it's driven by works and artists like yourself. That's beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate what you're doing, and I'm so, so uh, excited for this work and I, I encourage everyone get tickets for this which you know to that point if they want to learn more about Cirque <laughs> Rivera where can they find out more about your company yes just uh, visit our website CirqueRivera.org Cirqua C-E-R-Q-U-A Rivera just like river with an A at the end CirqueRivera.org we're very active on social media Facebook Instagram and the links are there for tickets we are literally hitting each major area of the Chicago land community: uh, Northside, Evanston, Studio Five Performing Arts Center, Smack Downtown Auditorium Theater, the historic landmark Auditorium Theater on October fourth. Then we are going to the Ruiz Belvis Cultural Center in Hermosa Humboldt Park uh, mid October, and then we conclude our traveling Chicago tour and uh, Hyde Park Logan Center uh, for the Performing Arts October twenty sixth. So you have various opportunities to be exposed and be entertained and be moved, enjoyed, amazing artists doing their best. Thank you, Wilfredo, for sharing your story and being part of this. Thank you so much for having me. I truly, truly appreciate it. 
So thanks again for joining us for today's program. To learn more about Wilfredo and Circo Rivera, as well as the upcoming shows for American Catracho, visit CircoRivera.org. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like us to talk about or a person you'd like us to talk to, send me an email at shoutbox at kaiharding.com. This program was recorded by Philip Von During at BAM Studios in Chicago and edited and mixed by Sven at Blue Box Studio. The theme song was performed by Melody Jane Wachtel of This Is A Stick Up. Again, thank you for joining us and have a beautiful week. 